Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Okay, we are responding to your needs, wants, and desires. Some of you have asked for me to just spiel on about something that is topical. And so that is what we're going to do this week because we've got the final GOP tax bill. And I am here to explain what this is all about and how you may want to think about your own financial life vis-a-vis this bill. It's always tough to do uh, something like this, talking about it without the graphics. This is when I really need uh, my television graphics people to help out. But let's think about this bill in the broadest sense first. The biggest part of this bill centers around corporations. The corporate part of the whole tax bill is a reform. The individual part is a temporary tax cut. Just hearing that, I know you might say, I don't really care about corporations, but there's a thesis behind the way the Republicans have attacked this. Their thesis is as follows. If we cut the top corporate tax rate from 35 to 21 percent, companies will use the money that they save and they will invest that money. There will be a big surge in capital expenditures. They will pay people more money. They'll hire more people. That growth, overall growth, economic growth, will pick up. In that part of the thesis, just simply by doing that, it will trickle down into ordinary Americans' pocketbooks. And that people who are criticizing the plan are not taking that part of it seriously enough. That's their thesis. Now, Frankly, I think that thesis is baloney because in the past, when we look at corporate tax cuts, that's not exactly what companies do. What they usually do is they pocket the money that is saved and they generously deliver that enhanced profitability to their shareholders. If you're somebody who owns stocks or mutual funds in your retirement accounts or outside of your retirement accounts, it is true that the corporate tax cut is probably going to impact you in a very positive way. But that is as a shareholder, not as a worker. So if you look at the analysis, there will be an initial sugar high from this. I don't doubt that. There will be a bump in growth, but two, three, four years down the line, that growth may be increased by a half to 1% a year. Hey, listen, that's good. We're only growing by two and a quarter or so, so I would take it. But it comes at quite a cost. So there are also some very big changes to the individual part of the tax code. And most of those changes are temporary. Most of the changes are in place through the year 2025, but then they all expire after 2025. It's not a bait and switch. It's just a it's a gimmick because it's a way to live within the rules that the Senate has set up around the debt and the deficit. The individual tax brackets remain at seven. There's seven different brackets. The top bracket drops down to 37% from 39.6. And the other part of that that's interesting is that the 37% cut starts to kick in when you earn income over a half a million dollars as an individual and 600000 if you're married filing jointly. And that's a higher level than if the top bracket kicked in previously. So that's the bracket stuff. 10, 12, 22, 24, 32, 35, 37. You know, that's a slightly different. Okay. What are some of the other big things that are going to impact you? 
the standard deduction nearly doubles. It goes to 12000 for individuals. It goes to 24000 for married filing jointly. And I think that when a lot of people will start talking about that, they'll say, oh, that's great because it does make it easier to file your taxes. It does. Right now, 70% of the American taxpayers are claiming the standard deduction. It's estimated that you would go uh, up to about 85%. You can't look at the standard deduction in isolation because essentially there are three things to consider. There's the increase in the standard deduction. There is the increase, the doubling of the tax credit for kids, your child tax credit, which will be $2,000. And then there's also the elimination of personal exemptions. If you put those three things together, that is going to probably mean that most people will do pretty well under, and I say most, most of like sort of the plurality of Americans will do pretty well and they'll get this temporary tax break. But there are a bunch of different people who are going to get harmed in lots of different ways. A couple of other things that are important You probably don't realize this. Maybe if you do your own taxes, you realize this. But there are a number of things that come into play if you are an itemizer. Um, If you itemized your taxes, that meant that you could deduct your state and local income tax, your sales tax, your property tax, your mortgage interest, and a bunch of other things that are sort of out there. And in this plan, a number of those itemized deductions are disallowed or limited. The biggest one, the one that's getting the most focus if you live in a place that has high income taxes, is the limitation on state and local income tax, sales tax, property tax. So right now, current law, you get to deduct all this stuff and that helps your tax bill drop down. Now, some of those items are what they call preference items for the alternative minimum tax. So some of the numbers that you hear about and some of these things that are disappearing, for a lot of you, you, if you fall into the alternative minimum tax, which is this secondary tax system to penalize wealthier people because they took advantage of too many itemized deductions, the deduction side of this is getting a ton of focus, but it may be that a lot of your deductions are limited already. So we've got the state and local taxes. We've got your AMT. They're going to increase some of the exemption levels. So fewer people fall into that. Some of this is simply going to have to be figured out as you actually complete your taxes. And that's what's confounding about it, because the tax code just for a lot of you and certainly for the 15 percent or so who are going to be itemizing, the tax system just got a lot more complicated. All right. That's been a lot to digest for a first segment. Uh, Oh, God. Um, So let's see. When we come back, let's do uh, let's do a quick break. When we come back, we'll do a little mortgage interest. We'll talk about the estate tax, capital gains, the expansion of the 529 plans. There's a lot of good stuff that is in here and some other things to think about, especially if you own your own business, if you have a pass through entity. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, a little bit about our sponsor, Betterment. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. I know that at this time of the year, there's a lot of scrambling going on. There's a lot of worries about what the tax situation is going to look like next year. You're freaking out. But you know what? This is also a time where we do a ton of charitable giving. 
this is a time where you should be really focused on the best way for you to conduct your charitable giving. Well, our sponsor, Betterment, is very happy to announce that they have got a new way for customers to be able to give money to charity. Pretty easy, huh? When you donate shares from your Betterment account, you'll see how much of your money is eligible for donation and potential tax savings. And of course, you can donate securely and easily with receipts always available in your account to aid your tax filing process. Just go to Betterment.com, get charitable, get going. Come on. It's that time of year. Okay, so here we have part two of our analysis of what made it into the final GOP tax bill. So we talked about state and local taxes. Let's talk about a few other things that impact homeowners. Mortgage interest. Right now, you can deduct home mortgage interest debt up to a million bucks. The new bill places a cap on mortgage interest deductibility on the first 750000 of debt principle. They call it acquisition indebtedness. So money that you borrow to acquire, build, or substantially improve a primary residence. This is a, applies to new mortgages that are assumed after December 15th of 2017. If you have an existing mortgage, it retains the deductibility of interest on the first million dollars of debt principal. But here's something really interesting, because there was a question about this during the negotiations. A refinance of those mortgages, of those existing mortgages in the future, will retain the million-dollar debt limit, but only for the remaining balance. So no new additional debt can you take out. So that's important to know. The plan also um, will eliminate deductibility for home equity indebtedness. And that doesn't look like that's getting grandfathered in, by the way. So if you've got a home equity loan or line of credit, it looks to me like you're just not going to be able to deduct that at all. That's important. Um, The other thing that remains is uh, there was going to be a a rule, a change to the ownership requirement about the personal residence gain exclusion. So right now you can exclude long-term capital gains from the sale of your home of up to 250 grand for uh, individual and 500 for married filing jointly. They were talking about making the ownership requirement five of the last eight years, but it remains at two of the previous five years. So that's important. So homeowners, you keep your interest mostly. You can only deduct your state and local income tax, sales tax, property tax in combination of 10 grand for all of that. I should note also about the state and local taxes. There is specific language in this bill that says you cannot prepay your 2018 state and local income taxes this year to take advantage of the final year of the unlimited deduction. However, that prohibition does not explicitly include property or sales taxes. So you may want to prepay some of your property or sales tax. It's going to be so confusing because you got to leave yourself 10 grand for next year, right? But you want to prepay. It's got to go directly to the taxing authority. So you got to send your tax bill to the receiver of taxes or whoever that is. You may screw yourself anyway, because if you fall under AMT, it's probably going to be limited to what you can deduct anyway. Huh. Isn't this fun? Isn't this great? Okay, here's an easy one. Long-term capital gains, no change. Top rate, 23.8%. Here's what's good. They were talking about putting a new rule in place that would force you to sell shares that are the oldest shares you bought. FIFO, first in, first out. Not in the final rule, so we don't have to worry about that. 
your estate tax it retains your 40% rate you're going to get a doubling of the exemption on estate taxes 11.2 million dollars for individuals twice that for uh, marrieds that expires after 2025 do you like saving for your kids college with a 529 plan here's some good news you'll get an expansion of the 529 plan it now includes private school tuition for elementary and high school students a lot of people were hankering for that it's not about mark wants to know whether that's if the schools participate but no it's any you can do it you have to be able to do it you have to open it and then you, you send the check from this account it's just sending the school a check from a, an account it doesn't have to be any participation on that level um, here's what else you get to do you keep deducting your student loan interest you're not going to get taxed as a graduate student on your tuition waivers that's good tax breaks for charitable contributions and retirement savings plan that stays keeps the adoption tax credit keeps the earned income tax credit keeps your uh, $7,500 credit for your electric vehicles mark you didn't get one guess what you may want to get that divorce rocking and rolling because uh, you're gonna get the elimination for the deduction for alimony for agreements signed after 2018 so next year get moving on your divorce if you want to deduct your alimony you also are gonna not be able to deduct moving expenses tax preparation and investment advisory fees this is gonna kill the uh, investment advisors out there you cannot deduct that anymore that's some of the miscellaneous deductions that are going away yeah home office is gone I never claimed the home office people even said I actually work from my home I never claimed it it always seems like the biggest red flag in the world it's like and it's nonsense in terms of money so it, it, it's like let me get asked for an audit for no reason medical expenses this is interesting there's an expansion of the medical expense deduction for this year 2017 and 2018 right now you have to have expenses more than 10% of your adjusted gross income now it goes down to seven and a half percent for 2017 this year right now and 2018 in addition although there are no changes to retirement plan contributions there were some changes around Roth contributions and conversions originally uh, there was a provision for Roths that said that you could recharacterize a Roth meaning that you could essentially say oh I want to do over I need to switch it back to a traditional IRA because either I made too much money or I did something changed in my life essentially meant to kind of help people out but it's obviously it was used as a way to kind of loophole around the rules and and give yourself a chance to undo things later on depending on what happened to your income throughout the year one of the things that is going on is that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act repeals the rules permitting recharacterizations of Roth conversions. It's effective starting in 2018. Basically, allows you if you if you mistakenly make a new Roth contribution and discover you're over the income limit, but you can't have a conversion that's been recharacterized. <sighs> okay, that's that. Oh, here's something. Let's get into. Let's do a little bit of stuff here on your pass through. So if you are a sole proprietor a partnership a limited liability company an S corporation right now how do you pay taxes it's just based on your individual income tax rate and the brackets so what is going to happen is that business owners are going to get deductions for the first 315,000 of pass-through income for married and it's 157 change for singles but let me boil it down you're gonna to have to talk to an accountant 
if you have a pass-through entity, um, because this is going to be incredibly important. There are going to be certain businesses where they say you can't claim it. Other businesses, you can. The important part of this is that your taxes are likely to go down for a portion of your income, but there are so many limitations, so many rules, it's crazy. To some extent, these different changes to your individual and your pass-through income returns are going to require you to absolutely positively get a tax professional in your court, like immediately, okay? Because that is going to be huge. Pass-through businesses are going to pay less in taxes, but you absolutely positively have to get some help. And by the way, you'll also have a tax break based on capital investment. So please get some help. In general, there are some pretty clear winners and losers here. The biggest winner is corporations. Top tax rate is going to drop from 35 to 21 percent. Um, For those with dollars offshore, like think Apple, Microsoft, Google, Johnson & Johnson, a lot of other um, big pharma companies, they're going to bring that money home at rates uh, ranging from 8 to 15.5%. That's even lower than the new 21% rate. Again, I am doubtful that they're going to then spend that money, all that money that they've saved into the economy. But if they do, then the economy would be the winner. Pass-through businesses, you will likely be a winner, but it's going to be very complicated. Uh, those folks who earn, you know, a half a million dollars or more, 600 as couples, you're going to win because your top rate is going down from 39.6 to 37. Folks who have estates with, uh, you know, essentially anyone with less than 22 million bucks married, you're going to be a winner. The biggest winner of them all is probably the tax attorneys and tax professionals who are going to be needed to wade through all of these new rules. I think the losers essentially would be in order, individual taxpayers, because these cuts are going to expire after 2025, so we're losers. Those folks in the Affordable Care Act who um, are are going to probably see their premiums rise. Remember, there's the elimination of the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate. CBO says 13 million people are going to be uninsured, and that means with those healthy, younger people generally leaving the pool, average insurance premiums on the individual market could rise by as much as 10%. And then, you know, look, homeowners in these high tax states, whether it's California, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, you have been able to previously deduct a lot of stuff and you're going to be capped now and you're going to be a loser and it's going to stink. I tried to describe this to somebody and they said, well, tell me like the give me the psychographic of the person who loses. And I think it may be if you live in a high tax state and you make between two and five hundred grand, you know, you own a house and you have been deducting your property taxes, I think that you're going to probably be a pretty nasty loser in all of this. And that's an, I know a lot of you who are listening to this are, are in those high-tax states, and I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you except that this is what is passing and this is what is happening, and we're going to have to change your plans accordingly. So this has been a, a deep dive on the GOP tax plan, and we are just so delighted that you joined us. We're going to keep diving into it. We'll get some very good experts in here to help probably um, peel back this onion a little bit more. But at least for this week, you've got your basics. So thanks for listening to me prattle on. Now it's time for your questions. It is the listener question of the week. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's time for the listener question of the week. Remember, you've got two chances to come on the program and ask your financial questions. 
We do this after our interview segment, but then we also have the bonus call of the week. If you'd like to get on the air live with us, just send an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. Right now, we're going to Jesse, who is on the line. And Jesse, what can I do for you? Well, hi, Jill. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Uh, so I'm wondering, my question's about mortgages in general. And specifically, I was wondering if you could talk about how you weigh the opportunity costs of shorter versus longer term mortgages. Mm. And specifically meaning, you know, with a, a shorter term mortgage, you're going to pay a higher monthly payment, but you'll obviously pay off the loan in a shorter amount of time. So with that larger monthly payment, there's some opportunity cost of, you know, not investing the difference in that mortgage payment and, and gaining those returns right. over time. Right. So, you know, look, I have a pretty specific view on this, and I think it has to do with the fact that I used to be a financial planner. You know, I'm a certified financial planner, and I used to be in practice a while back. And I know that there is an emotional charge from being able to pay down a long-term obligation like a mortgage. And that's what is appealing. That's why people say, 15 years, I'll be done. So, you know, it, it feels good. On the other hand, you bring up the point that I think is critical, and that is opportunity. And I would say that the opportunity cost comes in a couple of different forms. You know, you pay extra money down towards your mortgage, and you are certainly building up equity, but it's hard to tap that equity. Right. So it's hard to think about it and say, oh, I've got all this equity in my house, so I guess I'll sell it to get the equity so that I can fund my retirement. Or when I'm in my late 60s and 70s, I'll get a reverse mortgage and that's how I'll do it. As opposed to the following. I have a 30 year mortgage. And yes, I know that I'm going to be paying for 30 years. But during that 30 year period, while I'm making a lower monthly payment, I can put more money into my retirement account. I can put more money away, say, for my kids' college education fund. I could even put money away in a second home fund. And the opportunity cost is not just about investments, but it's about your own opportunity, what you are doing with all of your money. So on one hand, you absolutely get an emotional payoff. You don't have the mortgage long term. On the other hand, you may have other funding obligations that are more important to you than having a paid off house. So in general, I like to take the longest possible mortgage term, you know, especially now that we're we're currently in a low interest rate environment. And then if I want to pay that thing down later after I've funded my retirement and put my kids through school and paid for all the bills that I need to pay for, then I can accelerate later. But I, I don't like the idea of being locked into having to pay that extra money on a monthly basis, especially for young people who I think are going to have a lot of different twists and turns. So that's my soliloquy about it, Jesse. Tell me about how this intersects with your personal financial life. Well, I I kind of expected you to say exactly that. Um, So I'm a a first-time home buyer. We bought our house uh, about a year and a half ago. And at the time, and really still, I'm a a bit of a financial and saving newbie. So um, I was working at the time on the concept of, you know, buy buy as much house as you can within, you know, reason for the market you're in and pay it off as quickly as possible within a reasonable, you know, monthly payment. Um, so we, we took a 15-year um, 
very low interest rate, 2.75% mm-hmm. um, loan. But, you know, now that I've spent in that last year since we've, we've been paying these mortgage payments, I've, I've learned a little bit more about savings and investings, and I've watched some of my other investments grow. So I'm definitely, you know, a little more cognizant of what I could be doing with that that difference in, in monthly payment. But wait a second. Yeah. So now you've got this really cheap mortgage. Are you actually considering a refi to a longer term? Well, that's, I mean, that's on the table, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of my, my specific question is, if I were to do that, um, you know, does it make sense? Because, I mean, the, the, the mortgage payment we're making right now is it's completely reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not it's not hurting our, our cash flow in a, a way that we're feeling, but, you know, it is a, uh, call it four or $500 a month that we could be putting in, in a retirement account. Hmm. So just give me a little quick bio. Um, how old are you? Okay. Uh, I'm 32. Uh, I'm married. My wife's 31. Uh-huh. And what do you guys do for a living? Uh, I'm an engineer. She's an academic. And uh, a year ago when we, we bought the house, uh, we were moving for a tenure track position that she took. Nice. Um, and, and you are working at a place where you have a retirement account? I do. Uh, I have a 401k. Um, I've been putting into that, been working here for about five years now. And I've just been putting in the amount that the company will match up mm-hmm. to. So like 6%? Right. Yep. Right around there. And Um, um, what about her? Does she have like a 403B? uh, She she does have access to that. She doesn't get a match until she's been there for at least two years, I think. So she hasn't been contributing to hers Mm -hmm. for the last year. So you said your cash flow is good, even with the mortgage. Is it good enough so that you could nudge up your 401k to a higher percentage or not? I, I certainly could. Um, what I've been doing is um, I have a, a Roth IRA that I've mm, okay. uh, contributed to and maxed out this year. Okay, well, that's um, good. I, was, I wanted her to open a Roth IRA as well, mm. and we were going to try to max that out before the end of the year. Okay, I mean, look, um, if you can both put it this way, if you are then, if you're going to put away, how much do you make about? Um. It's about 150 combined before taxes. All right. So if you're both going to end up putting away 6 8%, whatever, into your retirement accounts and do Roth IRA contributions at 5500 each, if you can do that, then then just keep paying the mortgage and, you know, you'll you'll accelerate later. It doesn't seem to me, I hate for you to go through the whole process of getting another mortgage, a 30-year, when your cash flow is actually pretty good right now. And, um, you know, presuming that you don't have too much in debt, do you have uh, any student loans or anything like that? Nope. We made it out with no loans, um, paid off our car, and it's really just the mortgage. Well, then I think that you're, I mean, look, I think that you are, you're in good shape. I would, again, I wouldn't want to go through the cost and the hassle of doing a refi at this point. Um, And if you keep making more money, hopefully you'll be able to both you know, be putting more money away into um, your deferred comp in addition to your IRAs, to your Roth IRAs. But if you're doing two Roth IRAs and you're both going to put some money into your deferred comps and everything's cool and cash flow works, then 
keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, obviously, if we had to do it all over again, I would rather you have done a 30-year. But at this point, I don't think you need to refinance. Well, can we talk about the specifics of that real quick? Mm-hmm. You said, you know, hassle. And and I understand there's like a time input to refinancing. Mm-hmm. But are there what are the financial? Uh, are there any financial downsides? Yeah, well, because you're going to have to pay a new origination fee. It's going to there's a cost to a mortgage, right? And you may have find that, I mean, you could go look. This is what you could do. Your current provide, mortgage provider, you could see if you could do like a very low-cost refi with your current underwriter. Um, and, you know, you just did buy the house, so you could do it. It's just money, you know. It's going to cost you money. And um, rates maybe in the last year, I don't know, maybe they've gone up a little bit. Probably, let's say it's a 4% 30-year loan. You have to look at what the numbers really are to see if it makes sense. But again, the only reason to do this is if you need to free up more cash flow to do something else. You guys have kids or no kids yet? No kids yet. You think you're going to have them? Possibly a plan, yes. Oh, possibly a plan. I like that. Uh, So one of you wants, the other one doesn't. It's okay. So, uh, you know, look, it it would be helpful if you're going to have a family and you're going to have more expenses, it would be helpful to have a lower monthly payment, meaning a 30-year loan. So here's what I think. If you're going to go look at the specifics of getting a 30-year mortgage, I would go to your current mortgage provider. Tell them you're interested in looking at the uh, what it would cost you to do a 30-year fix from the 15-year fix. See if there's a way to do it cheap. And you can call a mortgage broker and get some quotes and see what it will cost. But compare apples to apples and make sure you understand, you know, how long you'd have to stay in this house to make this worthwhile. If this is a house that you're going to sell in the near term, you know, within the next few years, I don't think so because she's on a tenure tra- track job. But if, you're, if this is a house you really want to stay in for a while, then it argues for the case of a refi. If you think you're going to move and this is more of a starter house, then definitely don't do a refi. Right. And that's really the, that's the nuts and bolts. So potential, well, definite one-time uh, cost to opening the new loan. Right. And, then, and, and, potential, any, in, and potentially rates are higher, you know, right. than they were and a year there, ago. Is there any impact on credit no. history? No. None. Okay. Zero. Great. So go and like, I would think it's worth investigation. How about that? That sounds about right. There's no reason not to put a little time into to seeing what the options are, right? Dude, you're an engineer. Build the spreadsheet and move on, right? You, you're going to, yes, you're going to, you're going to populate that spreadsheet like nobody's business. And you're going to tell me what, let us know how you do. I'd be interested to find out like what you find out and whether you decide to do it or not. Okay. Certainly. I'll go for it. Thank All you. right, Jesse. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling. Thank you, Jill. Take care. Don't forget, we've got our bonus episode that comes out on Tuesdays and the longer form every single Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag better off. You can also reach me via email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. Better Off is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week.